You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. All right, let's pray. Father, we honor you and thank you tonight. I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you for allowing me to be here tonight and speak into the lives of your children. Lord, we've come to church tonight for a lot of reasons. We've come to honor you. We've come to worship you. We've come to give. We've come to be encouraged by seeing other people. We've come to encourage other people by them seeing us. We've come to be here in the house of God. And Lord, we've come to learn. So we ask you tonight to speak to us. Speak to us tonight. Speak to us. Right now, we quiet all of the other voices that would try to mess with our hearts. We quiet doubt and fear and unbelief and anger and cynicism and skepticism. We quiet all those voices down so we can hear you. Lord, we're smart enough to know we're not smart enough. So speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go, right? And uh, we're going to be, we're going to be, I, I, I know that you all began a series today in your church on the subject of family-ish. And so I'm going to kind of come in tonight and add to, uh, hopefully, what you've already heard today in regard to the subject of family. Interestingly, I just did 10 weeks of family at our church this past summer. So I've got literally reams of notes up here. All right. I'm, I'm a scriptural pastor. I still use ink and pen to take my notes. I don't mess with those silly computers that are of the devil. Amen. Well, anyway, that's what Pastor Barnett tells me, and he hadn't lied to me yet, so there we go. All right. So uh, I want to talk to you and give you some, some ideas and some thoughts, and I'm going to come at this in a way that maybe you've never heard of or thought of, and I hope to expand your understanding of how vital uh, your family is. And when I say family, you know, all of us are involved in family. Even if you're not married, you still have family, right? You still have family, okay? You have family in, in regard to uh, your parents or your siblings or your cousins or your grandparents, or maybe, maybe you have a friend's family. I do, right? I've got friends of mine. The Bible says there are, there are friends that stick closer to you than brothers do, right? I mean, you're, how many of you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to say it. I've said it at my church in El Paso. I've got friends that I love better than my family. <laughs> right? You know, there's an old saying, right? You know, you're stuck with your family. You get to pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family, you know? And, uh, and I've got friends that are just like, wow, wow, been with me through thick and thin, have been with me on the mountain and been with me in the valley of weeping. I mean, they have been with me. They have got on planes and come and stood with me. And Right? When family was nowhere to be found. So, you know, there is friends family. You understand what I'm saying to you, right? So there's that. There's work family. A lot of times people have that. They feel very close to the people they work with. There's church family. It's not an accident that God calls us the family of God in the book of Ephesians. So family is a big deal. So let's go back to where it all began. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter one, and I want to throw some light on this for you and maybe help you to see family the way God sees family and how vital family is in the plan of God in the earth. So let's begin in Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was 
without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, what's interesting here is there's so much understanding here, right? First of all, obviously something happened on the earth and to the earth between verse 1 and verse 2. Because in verse 1, he says, God made the heaven and the earth. In verse 2, it said the earth was without form, right? So something happened to it, right? When this pulpit was made, it got form, right? So if I come and I, for it to lose its form, I've got to do something to it. So something happened between verse 1 and verse 2. Now, I don't know exactly what happened. I wasn't there, but my speculation is, is that Satan fell to the earth in great wrath, like Jesus said. And when he hit the earth, things began to change in the earth, right? And so it was without form and void, all right? And then the Bible says that darkness was upon the face of the deep. Interesting that the Bible points that out, right? And then God said in verse 3, let there be light, and there was light. But if you talk to most people, Christian people, non-Christian people, people that know this verse, they think what happened in verse 3 is that when God made, that's when God made the sun and the moon and the stars. But in fact, he did not do that until the fourth day. All right, so the sun and the moon and the stars were made on the fourth day. So when God said, let there be light, what was he talking about? Well, all you got to do is a little bit of study, Come on, right? And, uh, and, and get an English-Hebrew dictionary. Now, I'm not fluent in Hebrew, but I can read a dictionary written by a guy that is. <laughs> Amen. And so, you know, I, uh, I, yeah. Is this too hard, right? It's not too hard, right? I mean, come on, you know. And, uh, you know, all my life, I've always been very curious about what words mean, and I've always had dictionaries around me and looking up things and stuff. And then when I was in the eighth grade, my, my dad, who was a World War II generation guy, and, and uh, like a lot of the men of that generation, was very detached and uh, basically was kind of the hammer, you know, in the house. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, he just was detached, and he was there. He was a good man, faithful man, honest man, but wasn't very connected emotionally. And so, but, you know, so he was always kind of the heavy. And uh, so, you know, report card in the eighth grade, I had to bring my report card home and had a report card from each class. And I put the worst class at the very bottom, hoping that the other classes would, you know, he would, or that one would get stuck and he wouldn't see it. And, you know, I would slide by. But as it was... We got to it, and he looked at it, and he said, what's this? And I said, well, Dad, you know, I, the, the teacher doesn't like me, and he's stupid, and I don't like the teacher. And, you know, and I said, oh, I'll never forget. You know, he was just kind of sitting there looking at me like, how was this child born to me, you know? And, and he's just kind of sitting there looking at me. He said, son, he said, uh, listen to me now. He said, ain't no blessing on being dumb. I'm going to let that one soak in for you for a moment. It's pretty profound, right? Ain't no blessing on being dumb. What's funny about it is that was the only time in my entire life of my dad I ever heard him use the word ain't. He didn't talk that way. He was very articulate, very proper in how he spoke. He was an officer in the army. He wasn't, you know, he just wasn't given to that. But he was doing it to make an impression upon me, as I learned later. And he said, ain't no blessing on being dumb. And as I sat there and looked at him, he could tell that I wasn't getting it. So he said to me, he said, you will never have the kind of job you want and make the kind of money you want being dumb. You'll never drive the kind of car you want to drive being dumb. You'll never live in the kind of house you want to live in being dumb. You'll never wear, marry a beautiful woman being dumb. Son, ain't no blessing on being 
dumb. So I decided not to be dumb. <laughs> not because of grades, but because I wanted the house, I wanted the car, I wanted the pretty woman, right? Amen. I don't apologize for that. Nothing wrong. Didn't break any laws. So all my life, all my life, I've been curious about words. And so when I became a Bible teacher, a pastor teacher in the body of Christ, that natural curiosity, you know, what was in my hand, that natural curiosity got me to what was in my heart, which is to teach people how to enjoy the abundant life that Jesus came to give them, right? So I, I looked this word up. And what I discovered was, is that uh, the, where the Bible says, and darkness on the face of the deep, it should have been translated chaos. Yes, that's right. Chaos was on the face of the deep. And when God said in verse 3, let there be light, what he really said was, let there be order. Wow. All right? So we know now that, that in studying this, if you continue, it says, you know, and that every day of creation, every act of creation, it says the evening and the morning were the first days, even the morning, second day. And the word evening comes from the same root word that means chaos. And the word morning comes from the same root word that means order. So what we discover from that is, is that all of creation, everything God made in Genesis in the earth, when he stepped into the earth, right, to bring it back to what the original plan was, what he was doing was he was establishing order to control chaos. Now, he did not remove chaos. He left chaos. I can't answer you why, but he did. He left chaos, but he established life, right? The creation story, the Genesis week, right? So he created life, and he established order, right? And by establishing order, in order to establish order, he created life, and establish laws of life in the earth. And one of those laws of life is right there in Genesis 1, and one of the laws of life is, is that everything produces after its own kind, right? So that principle, imagine how chaotic the world would be if, if everything produced whatever. I mean, imagine how chaotic. There'd be no way you could plan, no way you could, you could forecast, no way you could do anything, right? You just, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Right? And, and everything does, I mean, wheat produces wheat, dogs, dogs, birds, birds, fish, fish, worms, worms, humans, humans. Apples produce apples. You're never going to go out and plant apple seed and get oranges. Right. Now, if they tell you, now, if you plant apple seeds and you get oranges, then you didn't plant apple seeds. Okay? Now you know why Pastor brought me in, because I can figure that stuff out, right? So... <laughs> My point being, right, is that that then, see, when you understand that, then you understand what Jesus said later on, thousands, thousands of years later, Jesus said, hey, hey, you're going to know people by their fruit. Wow. Wow. Come on. Wow. They can tell you anything, right? I mean, you know, I had a guy take me in his yard, backyard one time and told me, hey, I want you to come see my apple tree. That's a true story. I'm not making this up. He's a pretty bright guy. Well, I thought he was. But so, you know, I went in the backyard and he said, this is the apple tree. And I said, those are oranges. He went, no, down at the nursery, they told me it's an apple tree. And I said, well, I don't care what they told you it is. It's an orange. <laughs> Honey, let's go, right? I mean, you know, I'm, Ain't no blessing on being dumb. Amen. So, amen. So, you know, right? 
right? So, so what am I doing, right? I'm not just saying that to kind of be a smart aleck, although I, I'm not kind of being one, I am one. But <laughs> the point being is, is that what I'm trying to share with you is, you know, is that, you know, I, I, have, I have people come to me and they say, oh, you know, you know, you know, Charles, I'm a, I'm, I'm a good husband. No, you're not. You're not good because you tell me you're good. You're good because I see the fruit of good. So good. Come on. Right? Right? I've got your wife in here crying her eyes out. She's already been to the attorney. She's about to divorce you. Your kids don't even speak to you, and you're telling me you're a good guy? Come on. Come on. You're not a good guy because you put the apples picture up in front of you. You're a good guy because I see the fruit. Right now, that's easy to stand here and say that about somebody else. But at some point in your walk, in your relationship, in your life, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Okay, I say I'm this, but what's the fruit?" Right? What's the fruit? You know, in our 40 plus years of pastoring in El Paso, our church has been called everything. You can't imagine the things we've been called. You can't imagine the stuff people have said about us. There are some people in here that have a history with us in El Paso, and they can tell you some of the things that we have been called. All right? And now, you know what I say now? Uh, call me whatever you want, but there's my fruit. Right? You can call me an apple tree, but the fact is we're growing oranges. So good, child. Now, if you can't see that, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. All right? So, amen. Now, I say those things. People think, oh, you're really cruel. cruel. I'm really not because there's really no emotion in it. To me, it's just that simple, right? You know things by their fruit. It's one of the, and, when you, and when you build fruit in your life, then you are establishing order in order to control chaos, right? Now, as you go through the creation story, the last thing God made was Adam and Eve, right? So everything was made to do what? To establish order and by establishing order to control chaos. So when God made Adam and Eve, then we know God knew they would make family, right? He put it in them for us to be attracted to each other and want to make family, Okay, so a part of God's plan to, con- to establish order and control chaos in society is family. Right? It's family. Now, when you see that, then you understand that life on earth was birthed into the middle of a battle between order and chaos. And that battle continues to this very day. In fact, God told Adam and Eve, hey, look, I'm putting you in this great place, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Pleasures, right? That's what the literal text says, the Garden of Pleasures. I'm putting you in the Garden of Pleasures. And it's great, it's wonderful, but you need to guard your garden. You need to guard your garden. The King James says, keep it. The literal text says, guard it. You need to guard your garden. Adam and Eve failed miserably guarding their garden. Then the question comes, how are we do, doing in guarding our gardens? Come on, so good. Right? Our hearts, our families. Wow. Our families. Yeah. Amen? Are we guarding those gardens? Keeping the chaos out by establishing order and maintaining it. Am I getting through to you, right? Okay. 
So God develops all this and puts all this in place and sets it in motion. And the reality is, is that family really is important in our society. It's vital to us as a society. And when you understand this, then you understand why there's such an attack wow. against family, why chaos is constantly trying to get in, right? Now, the dictionary, secular dictionary, defines chaos, listen to this, as a state of utter confusion or disorder. Isn't that fascinating that 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says God is not the author of confusion. Why? Because he is the God of order, (laughs) not chaos. (laughs) Excuse me. All right. It comes from the root. It also means a state in which the parts are undistinguished. It comes from the root word that means a chasm or an abyss. So chaos comes to separate us, right? To create chasms between us, to put an abyss between us. And isn't that really what we see so much of in our society today, right? As family has deteriorated, a sense of family has deteriorated. What has happened to us, right? We've become more divided. than than, Than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I've was raised during the 60s, was there was enormous tension in our country. But I think it's actually worse now. Because in the 60s, you know, we would disagree with people. You could disagree with them, but you could talk to them. Now people scream, yell, call your names, flip you off, do all this crazy stuff, right? Right? Well, that's how it is where I live. I don't know how it is out here. All right? So what does order mean? Order is defined as mean, listen, to put persons or things in their proper places in relation to one another. Wow. It means a straightening out so as to eliminate confusion or chaos. It means to unite a group of people. So God made family to control chaos and maintain order. He made it that way, created it that way, right? Now, I think all of us sitting in here tonight, we all see the need for, the value of order as compared to chaos, right? Everything, everything, society, culture, business, kids, families, people, everyone flourishes in an atmosphere of order. The only thing that benefits chaos is benefited by chaos, is evil. Right? Right? The more chaos there is in a society, the more evil flourishes. Isn't that amazing? Right? And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, the first chapter. It's astounding. We're still fighting this same battle. Mm -hmm. And, And our grandchildren will fight it if Jesus should tarry. Okay? So we see this, right? So we want to have it, okay? But then the question comes, okay, how do we get it? How do we get order in our homes? How do we get it? How do we hold, how do we maintain it? And it's a big question because many people have never seen order in a family. They were raised in chaos, 
Right, some of you in this room, right? If, if, I mean, if we could pull you aside and talk to you privately, you were raised in a home of chaos. Crazy stuff. I mean, you know, I've been pastoring now for 42 years, and I, I have spent literally tens of thousands of hours counseling with people. And every year I hear stuff, and I'm just like, no. No. <laughs> Now, I sit there real cool, you know, like, oh, okay. And I'm just like, what? (laughs) And how is that person not in prison, you know? I mean, I'm serious, right? I mean, it's just astounding. Man's inhumanity to man. Mm -hmm. God protect his dog and abuse his kids. Yeah. Love his truck and hate his wife. And so then we wonder why people come into relationships and they they don't, because they haven't seen an example of it. You know, I I get very concerned. I really do. And I'm not trying to be negative about it, but I get very concerned about what my grandchildren are going to grow up thinking is normal by the way people are acting today. You know, and, and so anyway, moving right along. So many of us have never seen it in our families. Our, fam- our families that raised us and the society that we were raised in was chaos, wow. confusion, disorder, wow. right, going on all around us. So how do we get order in our family? Family being the person you live with or the people you live with, your extended your friends, even in your church, even in your job. And then us as the church being the light of the world, the salt of the earth, we're supposed to be taking this order out into our society that people look at us and go, wow, how come your family's doing so well? How come you all are flourishing? How come your kids are doing so well? Because we have order right? Established. And or I, I don't mean order as legalistic. I mean order that we're in right relationship with each other. We're flowing together. We're functioning together. We're treating each other the ways that will produce order and not more chaos. Hmm? So what I've discovered is, is that in order for there to be order in my family, it starts with me. Starts with me. And it starts with you. Now, you may be saying to me, if we could talk, you might say, well, pastor, I'm not the problem in our family. No, you may not be. You may not be. I've had, I've had couples sit in front of me and one person was 95% responsible for the chaos in that home. No question about it. Maybe even a hundred percent. I had a guy in my office a couple of weeks ago and they sat down and she started crying and he looked at me and he said, it's all my fault. I said, well, tell me what you did. And I said, yeah, it is. It is all your fault. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I know. I know it is. It is all my fault. And I said, no, I'm agreeing with you. It is all your fault. <laughs> right. And he said, well, help me to quit screwing up. I said, okay, you came to the right place. I'm going to help you. Okay. And so we're working on it, right? And he's making changes. He's making changes. My hope is, is that he didn't go too far. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. 
So, you know, it starts with me. Even though, so I said to her, she, she said, well, you know, I'm so glad he admitted it's his fault. I said, I know, but you're still responsible to bring order. She said, but I'm not the author of chaos. I said, no, but the only one in this relationship that you have absolute control over is you. You don't have any control over him. You only have control over you. And so no matter what he does, you still have to choose how you are going to respond, which brings me to a very important point. And here it is, right? Someone else's chaos is no excuse for me to have chaos. Right? You know, I'm driving home on the freeway, and the guy next to me is in a state of chaos. There's no excuse for me to become in a state of chaos. Because the people on the news are in a state of chaos doesn't mean I'm going to go into a state of chaos, right? Because my neighbor's a jerk doesn't mean I'm going to be a jerk. But a lot of people use other people's chaos as an excuse to have their own chaos. So if I'm going to have, if I'm going to control chaos, I, I, I got to control what I can control, which is me, right? So it starts with me. Matthew 12, 25 in the Message Bible says, a family that is in constant squabble disintegrates. The King James text says, a house divided against itself shall fall. A house divided against itself shall fall. How does a house get divided? Because chaos comes into it and divides it, splits it, creates a chasm and abyss. It's really something, isn't it? So somebody's got to make a change, and that change is me. Proverbs eleven twenty nine, the Living Bible said, The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. Wow. Oh my gosh. Bada boom, bada bing, right? I mean, there you are. That's a good Huh? I mean, what are you going to do? But sometimes we don't know anything else because that's what we lived in. That's what we're surrounded by. So we have to go to a new source, a new source of information, a new source of doing, a new source of thinking, a new source of, of believing, a new source of attitude, right? So I've got to plant in me the seeds of order and peace in me so that I can grow the tree of order and peace in me so my family can come eat the fruit that I have grown because I have planted the seed in me. Amen? I can't just sit there and say something's ought to change, right? When I was teaching on this in my church, I had a guy come up to me after service, and I went right backstage, and I wrote down what he said word for word. It was so powerful, and I can't convey it to you the way he said it to me, but I put it in quotes, and he said, I want my families." to be better. He recognized he had multiple families, right? People he lived with, extended, work family, friend family, church family. He said, Pastor, I want my families to be better. God, I can still see his face. He said, I'm tired of all this chaos. So I'm tired of all this chaos. And he said, why can't everyone be nicer? Why can't we get along? Why can't we have and make peace? And I said, starts with you. Starts with me. All right? Starts right there. Right? Starts with us. Okay? So let me give you some starting points, some things that I hope will help you. In the last few minutes I have, I've got nine minutes. All right? 
and uh, so it's cool. All right. Uh, you will get out pretty close to on time tonight because I'm catching a plane home tonight. So you're, you're going to get out. All right. Amen. Okay. It's always scary when the preacher not leaving until the next day. That can be frightening. All right. So here's some observations. All right. I want to share with you some things that I've observed, that we've observed in the 40 plus years that make good families good and what make good families better. And if we have time, I'll share with you some of the stuff that chaotic families do. So you can watch it and not let it get into your garden, all right? So here we go. You ready? Just some practical thoughts, some good ideas. I'm going to go through them really quick. Number one, all right? Good families want to listen to each other. They care about the other's opinions and needs. They want to listen. And when it comes to listening, they're not distracted. Hmm? We live in the most distracting age ever. Mm. I was in a coffee shop the other morning, and I counted the people in the room. There were 20 people in the room. Two people were talking. All The rest of them were sitting with people, and no one was talking. They were all looking at their stupid phones. I'm sorry. I have a phone. I, I love it. It's good things. Great. It's wonderful. But gee whiz, people. Come on, Charles. This is nuts, right? I mean, open your eyes and look around you. Next time you're in an airport, see how many people are actually talking. Hmm? I was in Hawaii this summer, took the whole tribe, man. I mean, drained out 20 years of airline miles, right? Took the whole tribe. It was like we needed a parade permit to move. You know, there were so many. I think there were 12 of us, you know. You know. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was great. I loved it. But I, I was sitting there one day at the pool in, in Hawaii and in Maui, and I'm looking around, and nobody was talking. They were all on their phones. And, and when someone would try to talk, I see it all the time. Open your eyes. Look around you. Next time you go to a restaurant, look around the room, and you'll see somebody at the table trying to talk to somebody else, and that person won't put their phone down. Yeah, come on. And then you wonder why you're not connecting. Huh? Then you wonder why when you get home, your wife won't play rodeo with you. Y'all understand that? That's pretty, that's pretty clear in Texas. We understand that. That's pretty clear. All right. So they want to listen, right? They want to listen. Good families that have order want to listen. You know, when my friends call me, I want to listen to them. When my wife calls, my wife, my current wife lives in, my first wife passed away several years ago and we're married 42 years and I went four years and then I remarried three years ago. And she lives in South Africa. So our whole relationship is built pretty much on talking. Right? Conversing to each other. And so, you know, when I talk to her, I turn the TV off. I focus. I pay attention. I care what she has to say. I want to hear what she has to say. When my kids come in and talk to me, I turn the TV off. I put my phone down. I want to hear what they have to say. When my friends call me, I care. Why? Because I want to have 
good family. Number two, all right, number two, good families deal with frustration. They deal with it. They don't live with it. They deal with it. Now, Pastor Brian Houston said a couple of uh, years ago, I was in a meeting with him, and he made this comment. He said, hey, you know, I just, discovered, I just learned this morning that frustration comes from the root word that means to be deceived. Wow. Wow. And I mean, it just like hit me. And I was like, he said, he said, imagine that what they're saying is, is that what you frustrated about, what you're showing frustration about really isn't what you're frustrated about. You're really frustrated about this. So if you got frustration in your family, you know, ask yourself, is this really what you're frustrated about? Or is it really this over here? Okay. But good families deal with it. Number three, is the music playing? I don't want to look because that means they, I'm done, right? Keep going, though, Keep going. Oh, he's there. All right. Number three, good families, the people inside are willing to change bad, chaotic behavior. If you've got somebody around you that has looked at you and is saying to you, please stop hurting us. then stop hurting them. Stop it. I'm sorry I have to be so blunt, but I only got a couple seconds. The music's playing. Good families all recognize, they recognize that everyone has baggage. Everyone has baggage. We have families we were raised in baggage. We have cultural baggage. We have experiential baggage, right? We have baggage, and there's two things about baggage. Some of the baggage that you brought into your family, you need to leave it packed and put it in the garage. I'm trying to help you, man. You just need to leave it packed. I am so tired of 50-year-old women telling me about what their third-grade teacher said to them, and now they're emotionally... Grow up, sweetie. it and put it in the garage. Now, some baggage needs to be unpacked. It does. It needs to be unpacked and it needs to be dealt with as individuals, with your family, and sometimes you need to go get professional help, professional counseling. If you need it, go get it. Go get it. And you know, one of the most important questions you can ask is, are you okay? And if they're not okay, help them to get help. Amen. Number five, every family grows. Now, what do I mean by that? As every family grows, it produces different priorities, new responsibilities. You know, when I married Rochelle, I was 21. She was 19. Now, what? work to make her happy when she was 19. It didn't work when she was 49. Right? I used to tell people, you know, I went to bed with a girl and woke up with a woman. Right? So good families change and they realize, you know, the way I raised, the way I raised my kids when they were five didn't work when they were 15. Had to change. Right? Number six, good families that have order in them, the people inside are willing to negotiate. They're willing to negotiate. 
This has been one of my favorite terms for years. I can live with that. Right? I sit down with my spouse. I sit down and say, okay, this is what I want. This is what you want. And we negotiate. Right? We negotiate. Amen. And when we're done negotiating, I would say to Rochelle, I would say, hey, so you can live with that? Yeah, I can live with that. She'd say, can you live with that? Yeah, I can live with that. It's not everything I wanted. You didn't get everything you wanted, but I can live with that. You can live with that. I can live. Okay, so we're going to live with this. We're going to live with that. Great. I'm just willing to negotiate. Hmm? They value kindness. They put kindness, being kind to each other at the top of their value list. Being kind to each other. Let me tell you why. Because kindness can stop problems before it gets started. You'd be amazed. Here's one for you. They remain husband and wife even after they become mom and dad. Don't lose your husband-wife relationship because you become mom and dad. Happens a lot. Great parents, lousy spouses. They didn't start out that way, but they became that way. What happened to them is they get in what I call drift. They get so busy at being mom and dad of the year, mom and dad of the decade, mom and dad, and they completely drift from each other as husband and wife. So you have to fight to maintain that husband-wife relationship. You do, because those little buggers will steal all your time. I love them, but God bless them. All right. Hey, good families understand this. Really and truly, it really isn't all about you, princess or prince. It really isn't. It really isn't. It's about us. Hmm? Good families go to church together often. Hmm? One of my all-time favorite verses, I've lived this, it has changed my world. Isaiah 40, verse 31, the King James text says, they that wait upon the Lord. Gosh, I wish they'd translated this correctly. We've got so many bad doctrines out of that verse because it was translated wrong. The literal Hebrew text says, they that gather together before the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up on wings of eagles. Listen, there are things that God will do for you at church. He will not do for you anywhere else. He won't do it for you. He won't do it for you anywhere else. He'll do it for you here, and he won't do it for you there. And what do we have today? We have people being told, don't go to church. It's too late. It's too tiring. What are you going to learn? It's too far to drive. There's a football game on. Oh, my God. Hmm? Church attendance in America now is dropping 20 to 25% across America every NFL season. Hmm? So in Texas, right, we are worshiping at the altar of the Dallas Cowboys, praying to St. Jerry that he will deliver us a Super Bowl trophy. It's nuts. Okay, I've gone this late. What the heck, right? So here we go. No, I'm going to give it I'm really fast, right? I, I'm, I'm going to give you the observations of chaotic families. Here they are, right? Number one, they don't forgive. They get that grudge and they hold it. They get it and they hold it. They don't forgive. 
Well, I forgive when he, when, when, when he asks for forgiveness and tells me he's sorry. Well, what if he never asked for forgiveness? And what if he's already gone on to somebody else? Are you still going to hold on to that? You got to forgive, man. Huh? Chaotic families never admit you are wrong. It's impossible for them to ever say they made a mistake. They can't do it. Number three, they stir up strife. Like they have a stick and they just stick it in the family. Stir up that strife. Wow, stop it. Number four, they forget birthdays and anniversaries and important events in the family. Now, they can tell you the batting averages of the Los Angeles Dodgers for the last 10 years, but they can't remember a birthday or an anniversary or to buy a Christmas present. Chaotic families, don't keep your word to your family. Tell them you'll do something, but blow it off. You'll create chaos. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Chaotic families always say what you think and feel. In your brain, out your mouth. In your brain, out your mouth. It's amazing how many people are prideful of that. Well, I, you know, I just tell it like it is. Sometimes you need to just keep it shut. Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. <laughs> Here's one. Chaotic families are chaotic because there's somebody in the family that always puts other family and friends above their own family. They never do more than the minimal amount to get by. Just put enough effort into the marriage that he doesn't leave. Just enough. Just enough to keep her in the house. Why do you want to live that way? Huh? Here's the last one. They get mad, stay mad, and don't tell anyone why they are mad. Even when you are asked, why are you upset? I'm not upset. Well, you haven't talked to me in three days. What's well, because I'm upset. What are you upset about? I'm not upset. That's crazy behavior, man. Did you learn anything tonight? Stand to your feet with me, please. Can, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Would you lift your hands towards heaven for, with me tonight? Lift your hands towards heaven. You know, you know, in the world, we lift our hands for two reasons. Number one, to surrender which we don't surrender to life, but we do surrender to the Lord. And you know why else we lift our hands? In victory. Right? In victory. Yeah. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone here tonight at whatever level they are engaged in family. Some people are engaged on every level and others on different levels. But we're all in family. We're family here in the house of God tonight. We're family. We're family with friends. We're family with family. Tonight, Lord, we ask you to help us to sow the seeds that create order in our homes. Not to be agents of chaos, but to be sowers of peace and sowers of kindness and sowers of understanding and that we desire order and not chaos. And we thank you for it, Lord. Help us all to be better at family. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.